wait, hold up. We've done this before. Let's try something new. One, two, one, two, three, four. Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full spectrum source for all things music, insight, and opinion. Today is December 7th, 2020. My name is Bill, and I'm joined here today with Steve. Hello. And returning guest, Michael. Hello. Welcome, welcome Michael. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. How are you guys doing this evening? Doing fairly well. Wonderful. Getting ready for the uh, total empty wallet in the next couple of weeks with Christmas approaching. Dude, tell me about it. Unbelievable. All these kids, man. <laughs> I get what my parents like. I couldn't get you that this year. Santa didn't come this year for that one. Like, <laughs> I understand why now. Well, I mean, the one good thing, I guess, about the whole pandemic is just how like uh, how cheap everything is online now. That's great, yeah. The convenience of Amazon Absolutely. now. Like, if you're staring behind you, that's the whole Nicole wall for Christmas. <laughs> Jeff Bezos is doing well, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> he started. No. He started out having, with a little website that just sold books. I know, that unbelievable. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. Well, funny story. I I interviewed Fluff from YouTube. Yeah. you know, a little while back, he told me, and I'm pretty sure it's on the episode. His dad was offered an opportunity to be like a finance guy for Amazon back when they were like working out of the garage and his dad turned it down. And Fluff found out like later on, like a couple of years ago or something, he's like, what the fuck were you doing? Like, why would you say no? He's like, you don't understand. Back then, They're working out of a garage. That tech bubble <laughs> back then was crazy. I think it was in like 1996, around that time, Amazon at one point peaked at stock at $32, broke in half at like 16 bucks. So you could have bought Amazon back in the late 90s for about $16 a share. At the time, my father was trying to get into the stock market and thought QVC was going to be a good opportunity to buy 1,000 shares in around the same price as Amazon. Had my dad had invested in Amazon when I was about five years old, he would have made a profit by now of $6.7 million (laughs) (laughs) on an investment in 1996. Could you imagine? I can imagine. <laughs> That's about all I can do. My dad, my dad still complains about the fact that every goddamn neighbor in the neighborhood has a pool except for him. He's just got this dry willowed backyard. He stands out there in like 80 degree summers. He's like, he. Just, it's funny. He's got this picture of this, you know, grown man with his hands on his hips just trying to enjoy the summer and two houses next to him behind him all splashing in their pools, having pool parties. And my dad's just like, I got to mow the lawn today. <laughs> Those shares of QVC six point, really- Yeah, the $6.7 million. That would have been nice. <laughs> Good job, great. Mr. Heim. That's just amazing, though, Yeah, how far that's come. Wow. <laughs> that's so funny. So um, has anyone uh, come across anything new or interesting? Well, actually, Steve, have you come across anything new or interesting? Yeah, actually, um, I follow this page on <laughs> Instagram that's I want to say it was Grunge Bible or Daily Grunge. It was a grunge page. They play 90s stuff, not just grunge music. They play like 90s, you know, pop punk, like Green Day's on there sometimes. They play like Neil Young on there, all their stuff. Um, But there was like a thing about newer artists that are recommended to genre-wise of like, what would you say would be like 
comparable to grunge or alternative rock of the 90s that's like newer. Yeah. Looked at some of the band names and, you know, luckily with digital streaming services, you can just go search them and find them. So one of the bands was Super Heaven. Oh, hell yeah. They had an album. They were from what? Doylestown? Doylestown. Doylestown. They're no longer together, which is a shame, but they had an album in 2013 called Jar. And Bill's familiar with this album. I recommended it to him. He and I both came to the agreement. It's just... It's one of those like easy it's to really, grasp really, alternative really rock albums. And to know that it came out after I graduated high school is mm-hmm. fucking cool. That it's semi-local. Anything in PA, I consider local anyway. Yeah, Bucks unless County. It's, unless it's Punxsutawney you know. or Pittsburgh. Like, that's, <laughs> Bucks that's County, I'm, Delaware County. Yeah, Montgomery County Delaware. either. I can take out there as well. But yeah, Jar by Super Heaven, the uh, title track, Kind of Life in a Jar, the music video for that. Just the music video had a very Alice in Cheney's like Nirvana yeah. vibe to it. Um, but yeah, if you're a fan of any of those 90s rock bands, absolutely recommend that band, there's especially that, that album. There's that other song too. I forget what the name of it is. Sponge. Sponge, yeah. Yeah, the I opening track. Run. Like, it sounds like Bush. It does. Has but a total. Like better. Yeah. Did they play out a lot? Did they do a lot of shows? They did, apparently. Yeah, apparently But they broke they up in, in 2017, area. I want to say, uh-huh. right? And they do, like, sporadic live shows here yeah. or there. So, like, they're kind of dumb, but not really. And you can tell by, like, the, the music video production that they had, like, they were getting somewhere. You yeah. Know? And it's a shame because, like, you know, just reading that page, you see a lot of times where people mention bands from previous eras and decades. Yep. And not many bands are comparable today, especially in, like, certain genre bases. I mean, hip hop today has evolved to a point, um, even just like, you know, indie music in general, like indie rock, like of Monsters of Men when they came out, the Lumineers mm. like kind of projected differently, talking like, you know, talking heads almost to a different level. Exactly. But you don't get really many like, oh, you know, you like Alice in Change, you should check these people out and actually get quality in return. Exactly. But yeah, Super Heaven was, they're dope. Yeah, it was. Very good. Like I said, it was funny because I couldn't remember their name yeah, when you, you sent me the song. song I was like, I, I went through the, I listened to the whole album and I heard Sponge and I was like, dude, I fucking heard, heard this before. Like I've yeah. heard this song and yeah. like I, we're sitting on the couch, me and Nicole, she's like, I like this. And all of a sudden I started singing the chorus and she's like, how do you know this? It's just weird. Like I was triggered like, a weird, I was like, there's somewhere memory. Deep, yeah. in, deep in the subconscious here. This I song exists like something deep in that core <laughs> of your brain, dude. But <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. Um, my new and interesting is. Obviously, if you follow the podcast, you know I'm a Van Halen fanatic. Wolfgang Van Halen was recently on the Howard Stern Show, and uh, he released two new songs, or one new song that's public Public is called Distance. It's not a bad song, not really my cup of tea, but the music video kind of awesome. makes up for it. Gave you know, like chills. Old, family, old family videos of Eddie, and it was just, it's heart-wrenching. Yeah. But there's a second song. If you can scour the interwebs, it's called You're to Blame. It's heavier. It kind of gives off like the Alter Bridge-ish vibe. And uh, if you can find it, it's going to be worth your time to get a hold of it. All right. But until then, check out Distance. I mean, it's not a bad Is song. Is there any word on any release? Like, for- Dude, the album's been done for three fucking I was going to say. Years. I knew, like, timing-wise, it didn't make sense. No. But obviously, the music, to a point, is out there. In I'm guessing... Some- well, I heard that they booked their first live show for 2021. Okay. So, you so think they might Between now it? and then. Yeah, I mean, might, might, they might give it the year, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Who's going to be in his band? He mentioned who was going to be in the band on Howard Stern, but I can't find anything on the internet. Yeah. But by what I remember, it's members from... 
Mark Tremonti from Creed and Alter Bridge's solo band, which Wolfgang Van Halen was also a part of. He played bass on a, on the album, I think, on a tour or two. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, what I heard from the interview, um, you know, which I conveniently found on YouTube because I'm not willing to pay for Sirius XM, is that uh, Eddie Van Halen actually gave the band his blessing. Like, he heard them play live for the first time. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, Wolfgang Van Halen Distance, that's something pretty cool. But if you can find uh, You Were to Blame, that's something to check out as well. A lot, now, a lot of, I'm sure a lot of musicians are just chomping at the bit to play with them. Oh, live. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you imagine the artist building you crowd. Bring up. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, it's just like, you know, he's the closest thing you're going to get to Eddie Van Halen anymore. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, he's no slouch of a musician himself. I would I mean, love to see, like, a benefit concert. Give it some time. They said know. that it's not, they said it's not not going to happen. Sammy Hagar said that he would be involved with it if yeah. it were to happen. And Wolfgang Van Halen mm-hmm. said it's inevitable it's going to happen. But it's got to be done right. Yeah. Inevitable. It's it's inevitable. That's a hope. <laughs> Just like how they're going to go through the famed 5150 studios and pull out all the master tapes and, <laughs> you know, find all these various hidden tracks that of we course. haven't heard before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, it's no secret, Michael, that you are a professional musician and you're in a few bands, but you wanted to come on here, not only to be a part of this amazing podcast, but to also draw attention to something, something pretty cool that you got going on. Well, today with the pandemic, um, bands are trying to get gigs any way possible. And we know it's, it's almost impossible. I usually play 20 to 25 gigs a year. And this year I've played two uh. and um, so many of them were canceled. We had a whole summer planned uh, with the Billy Joel tribute band that I'm in that every single one was canceled. Um, the, the only one I did was in January before the pandemic. And we just did the other band that I'm in, which is rail, the music of Genesis. It's a Genesis tribute band from the early days, the Peter Gabriel days. And we actually played, um, a gig about a month ago down in at the Milton Theater down in Milton, Delaware, which is kind of in the middle of nowhere. Delaware has a, once you get below the canal, oh, yeah. it's kind of called slower Delaware. <laughs> um, Lower, slower. We're yeah. in Delaware. <laughs> once you get below the, the canal, it starts being nothing but farmland and then little towns everywhere. Well, this really cool theater was, is down there called the Milton Theater, down all the way down near Rehoboth. It's not that far from Lewis and Rehoboth. And we're driving through all these farmland and all of a sudden I come up in this little town, in this little theater, and it was packed. They put as many people as they could in there as allowed, and they did a great job. So we did this gig about a month ago, um, and they had it perfect. Everybody had masks. They had all the social distancing correct. The band came in. We had to wear masks while we were loading in and sound checking. Uh, they gave us a separate green room that was removed from the theater. Uh, all the, the sound men, everybody that was involved, all had masks on. It was all done really, really well. Yeah, it's awesome. And the um, the audience was so receptive. Before the show, during the show, after the show, nothing but emails and blurbs on Facebook and whatever. 
how great it was just to be out and to see live music again. And everybody was so appreciative because people like live music. They love live music. Mm -hmm. Of course. And not being able to see live music, you don't realize, again, the whole pandemic, you don't realize what you don't have until it's not there. Absolutely. Exactly. I mean, think about we, Lamb of God. Yeah, you know, in flames, Megan. We had a huge, you know, Supposed to be plan a good coming summer. up. Yeah, to go see a yep. big show, and I, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about it all the time with artists that are getting older, or you know, right. When are they going to be able to play again? Exactly. exactly. And like Megadeth's one of those bands I haven't seen, and I was like, this is a perfect lineup. I've already seen Lamb of God. I've Not to rub it in, but I've seen Megadeth, and they were really good. I know you have. I saw them on the Rust in Peace. You've had this dunk before. Yeah. I was in difficult times during the Rest in Peace tour, of which I would have been there. <laughs> Finances were budgeted for other means, um, but yeah, dude. I mean, so it was it was really well it was really well done, and we were the first show that they did since the pandemic started, oh, and wow. now they're having shows you know every week like this. Oh, so you kind of set the bar? They yeah, we, like, we were, were like, like the, the guinea pigs. Yeah, yeah, and it worked. It went it went over great. Um, so the next thing that we're going to do is what a lot of bands are doing is doing live podcasts, I guess you would call them, um, where we're playing at this, it's on December 12th, Saturday, December 12th at 89 North, which is, which is up on Long Island. It's called the 89, 89 North music venue. It's in Patchagog. I hope I pronounced that right. New York out on Long Island. Um, I've played there before with the band. It's a huge venue, but it's going to be empty. No crowd. Just us, the sound crew, and the camera crew. And we're going to be broadcasting it worldwide. Starts at 3 p.m. And it's $10. You sign up. You can go to our, our link on our Facebook page, Rao, Rao, the Music of Genesis. Rao spelled R-A-E-L, for those who don't know. That's the character from The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Um, Rao, the Music of Genesis, and... If you go to our Facebook page, there'll be a link to Ticketbox, and it's ten dollars. The venue's going to, going to um, get some money, we'll, and maybe we'll make some money. We don't know. Um, we just want to play. We just <laughs> yeah, want to play. Yeah. And so, and that's going to be on again Saturday, December twelfth, three p.m. It'll be about a two-hour show, and we're just trying to get people. We've got people interested all over the world. 3 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Eastern Time. So if we've already got people buying tickets from Sweden, from Italy, because they love Prague rock over there in, in Europe and Scandinavia. They oh, love yeah. Prague. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And so that, we're looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's just going to be us on stage with nobody in the audience and cameras. And so it should be fun. That's got to be cool, though, in a certain light, just to be able, it's like you're just jamming. Yeah. You know, yeah. and like the comfort level too. I mean, and knowing also what you're doing it for. I mean, because that's the thing that really goes under. Look, we talked about this before with the way music is today. Like a lot of people make their earnings off of performances and especially merchandise. Yep. And live shows. I mean, like, you know, Michael, you like hit the nail on the head. I mean, you don't really know what you got until it's gone type mm-hmm. moments. Because I, ever since I've been getting back into live music, I mean, the past two summers, I think I was like hitting a concert almost twice a month. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I saw some really good shows. And now I'm thinking like if I were to go back those two years, one of those specific bands was on a very limited reunion tour, which 
now with things getting held up, are any of these bands like gonna mm-hmm. continue what they had exactly. planned? Or are things gonna phase out before then? God forbid someone die. You know, there's a lot of things that can happen, and who knows how long this is gonna go on for. Yeah, exactly. You know, like I was just going to like Wawa today and seeing the masks. It's like this is becoming a standard. Yeah. You know, I this walk is the into, norm. Yeah, I'm walking in a store and feeling my phone, cigarettes, keys. Oh, got to go back to the car for the, like, it's just become a norm. And it's, yeah. you know, you're kind of really missing that idea of live music is. Well, wow. it's nice to see, like, don't take offense, but like, like the older generation of musicians that are, you know, adapting and, you know, embracing the whole idea of a live stream. That's great. Yeah. And being able to, you know, get out there and do stuff. Yeah. I mean, but this is also what you scares know, me if that becomes too much of a comfort and then the norm. Because we think about how like social media transformed, yeah. like how people yeah. interact with each other. Concert life is that's a whole nother world. Like live yeah. music, the people you meet there, the camaraderie off of total strangers, just everybody just there for the same reason. I mean, and then you have the live stream music. Like, is it gonna become to a point where it's like pay $5 for the digital or pay $20 for the live ticket. And a lot of people are become accustomed to the live stream. Like, why would I pay the extra 50? Cause they don't know what that's about. Yeah. Right. About kids grow Newer, up. Yeah. New kids, but people that have been the concerts a lot, they'll, they'll go back. To I live really music. hope. It's yeah. That, it's got to, yeah. it has to. And the, and the, the band feeds off the energy from the audience. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, there's that connection. Oh yeah. That we felt again, playing at that theater in Delaware. It's like, that it's people like that, and it's a and weird adrenaline, it. yeah. yeah. And it's like it felt so good to do it again. So younger people, maybe with watching it live stream, it's less of a hassle going to a concert. But people in their, I think, in their thirties and forties and fifties will still go when it comes back. They'll go do the live show. I'm 28. I fall into that category. Yeah, yeah. I'm like when, 40 in the head. You know, when when the live music comes back, they'll go back because yeah. there's nothing mm-hmm. like it. And I really think like that's just one of those things. Like as much as like I think there might be like a limited fallout, but live music is on a different pedestal of anything yeah. because it's yeah. just even just that's like the equivalent of like hey let's go out to eat tonight or something like live concerts is just one of those outdoor yep. events that people are gonna just want to do whether you just want to go sit on the lawn and drink and just watch the show or yep. get involved it is something to do like going to a movie theater well even when we watch the Lamb of God live stream yeah. like we had the option to sit in the house and watch it yeah but we made it we, into a thing we, t- we t- brought yeah. it outside <laughs> yeah. yeah like you know like I'm not gonna sit there and you know watch Ashes of the Wake played in its entirety on my couch yeah I wanted to feel like I was you know with my $15 ticket at the lawn at BB&T exactly I got the yeah. full aesthetic <laughs> I got like the aesthetic though after I've drank too much and like the pits are like now making me nauseous so I just gotta sit at the very back of the lawn on the arch <laughs> so I can see directly to the stage not worry about some dude who's five feet taller than me standing there exactly you know, you gotta, you that gotta, was the feel I got of the. you gotta hire some people some other people to get really drunk and throw up oh, yeah, around yeah. you yeah. to make it look like the real But that's not me. On. Yeah, it wasn't me. <laughs> they yeah. got to hire them. Yeah. Well, I'll yeah. tell you what, if the live if the live concert kind of goes away, it'll be like the prohibition type thing. Oh, yeah. And we'll start de- like playing the live streams here and start having people come having over like bootleg concerts. Yeah. Bootleg concerts. Sneak them in. Yeah. Next summer, we'll have the Rage Against the Mainstream podcast. Stay summer tuned. Series. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it outside and have musical guests. <laughs> Bill's bootleg extravaganza, dude. I, I'm telling you, I'd do it. 
We caught on to it a little bit late because we were talking about it before, like after the Lamb of God one, it would have been cool to do like... Yeah, we know, were like halfway through the set, like this would have been cool if we... Yeah, yeah, like, you know, we should watch like Live at the Paramount out here. It was like a trial run though. Next yeah, summer. same thing with Michael and like what's going on now. Yeah, we, yep. we had an opportunity to experience like this could work. <laughs> so um, back to the live stream event. If you're not able to watch it at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time... Are you able to watch it? Is there a window to be able to watch it after the fact? Like, is it going to be available if you purchase the ticket and you can't watch it? Is there like an after play? I don't know. I really don't know that. I'll find out though. I'll let you know. Well, until, well, not until, well, we're going to post about our social medias and, um, you know, as we find out more information, uh, with this breaking news, we're going to keep all you guys updated as well. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash RATM podcast, Instagram and Twitter at RATM podcast, and uh, sign up for our newsletter, RATM podcast at gmail.com. I'm kidding. We love the newsletter. But if you go on our website, RATM podcast.wixsite.com slash RATM podcast, I'm pretty sure there's a, uh, a mailing list option there. I'm not sure. Maybe. There might be. We don't even know. Yeah, I, I don't ever go on our website. I mean, it does. It looks cool. It does. <laughs> it's very welcoming. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, getting back to the whole live versus um, podcast or casting out, you can do both now. Imagine doing both, um, like doing a concert on a stage here or up in New York, and also podcasting it out so the rest of the world can see it. Yeah, so international. So it, I was maybe yeah. it, maybe it'll be a, a good thing where you can do it, and it won't be that expensive because the internet makes it cheaper. It's not yeah. this expensive. Um, Doubling you know, the rent. Yeah, I was going to say like one of the things do both at the same time, and, and why not? Like, there's a lot of um, concerts, especially when you mention like international, where I have to wind up like watching the YouTube. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm one of those guys where we've had disagreements with other people before where why would you spend the $10 today when you could wait for a couple of weeks for it to come out on YouTube? Call me like old fashioned in the sense the same reason I buy albums. Like I feel like I like to know my money's going to support something. Like if I like it, I exactly. want it to know it's good because I, I know what that's like. I mean, you're being in that position where you're doing this for a fan base and that fan base is reciprocating by, you know, funding you in the sense you like this. It's art. You pay for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Hellfest, for instance, you know, Maryland Death Fest even, that's, you know, kind of far of a drive, sometimes can't make it to. Let's say if they were live streaming those events, yeah. I would pay the $15 to watch it while it's happening. You know, exactly. just like the same way I'm going to sit there and watch the rerun on YouTube from 2019 or 2018. Yep. I would be in a position that if they started doing that, you know, and what's cool is a lot of these events also have five different stages. It'd be cool the same way you buy a pass for so many days, you buy a pass or, you know, you get the option, you get a click on a link, what stage you want to watch at this point, what stage do you want? So you could be like you're there, you get the option to choose. Yeah, like a virtual experience, like you're actually there. Totally, yeah, I'd be totally cool with that. Well, until we get invited to go to walk-in or... That's what I'm saying, like... Until, you know, we get invited to go to Hellfest and shit, that's kind of just how we're going to have to deal with it. Yeah, like, there's no way I'm (laughs) flying to walk... Like, I don't have... Like, maybe when I'm retired, but at that point, I'm going to be like... It's like the the Firefly Festival down in Delaware. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing like experiencing that whole camping thing and all the bands on different stages. But if you still want to see it and you're not into that camping out... Doors make it an option, and guess what? To watch it live, exactly, and 
and, and the revenue stream will even be, be more yeah. so they can put on a better show yeah. and it can put it back into the show. And, and, and that's a perfect example because of distance wise, because that's for us specifically. We could make that trip, but sometimes you can't. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, and me personally, if I watch it on a live stream, it's because I couldn't do it. But I would still want to make the effort someday. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think the live stream would ever take away right. from me ever actually wanting to go there. Like exactly. Maryland Death Fest, when I bring that up, same thing with Delaware. They're driving distance. So, yeah. But again, it's not as convenient as like, hey, they're playing you know, at Rowan University. Exactly. You know, like some of these distances, it's like you actually have to make the time and planning. For reference, uh, Firefly is like an hour and 15 from here. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it could easily be done. Very easy, but it's one of those like, you know, it's two hours of driving plus the concert, depending on what your circumstances. But hey, let's say Parking. you're at home and, you know, you're hanging lights up for the holidays. Mm-hmm. Wife ain't letting you go nowhere. <laughs> you know? I have no idea what you're talking about. That doesn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) So it could be something good that comes out of all of this. You can have the option for people that live far away that want to see the show. Exactly. Yeah. Especially international. It's it's, it's another revenue stream. Yeah, international. A lot of music. Big. And it even, like a broader audience too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you just said it here. Like you have fans out in Switzerland and Sweden and stuff. Like They're signing up. Like, it's great. Never, like specifically, there's a band, there's a German thrash metal band called Sodom, and every time, like, oh, two tour dates, nothing in the United States, ever. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, ah, I would love to see them live, just please. But if they're like, hey, we're streaming, you know, from it. Dublin, Ireland, you know, 10 bucks, um, yeah, why not? Exactly. Why not? Mm-hmm. And also, think Bill, about get how the many projector concerts- ready. Yeah, exactly. Yo, <laughs> Dublin, Ireland, we're going. I'll see you in the backyard. <laughs> Another thing that's bad about what I've been finding out from from talking to different people is that these bands, a lot of the local bands, not playing together for a year, people, sometimes these musicians will just decide, I, I just don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Or, or they might decide, I, I'm going to do something else. Or already a couple big bands, um, the, the uh, Tom, Betty, Tom Petty tribute band, uh, the big Tom Petty tribute band up in New York. The front guy, he just decided, you know, after the pandemic, I, I'm just not going to do this anymore. I'm just going to sit in my basement, write music in my basement now. That's all I want to do. Can't have the heartbreakers uh, without Tom. And, and um, so they got somebody else to replace him, but it's band, the whole band dynamics, even big name bands, who knows what's going to happen. People may start doing different things and trying yeah. to get the bands back together. Yeah, well, one specifically is like Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. He had tours about to be going on, and then you know, obviously, illness, yeah. you know, situations, yeah. and now this. You put this on ice for long enough. I mean, people's the whole, perspectives. The whole change. dynamics of, of yeah. the bands is done. Then, Absolutely, yeah. so it, it's very that's tough. One bad thing that, that's come out of this, and this year has taught us our heroes are dying. Yeah, there's been a lot of people, and it shows you how unfair recently. the world truly is. It can be. On this day in music history. On this day in music history, December 7th, 1962, at a pub in Chelsea, the Rolling Stones hold auditions for a bass player. They decide that Bill Wyman will do, as he has a nice amp. Uh, Wyman doesn't tell them that he has a wife and young son. (laughs) How many situations have you been in, Michael, where it's just like you hire a guy based off his gear? Because I've done that a few times. (laughs) Yes, yes, we have. Yes, some nice space set up, nice space. I always thought that yeah. was a myth. 
Yeah. No, no. <laughs> that really happened. Also, a lot, huh? nice, <laughs> nice drum set. Oh, yeah, it happened. I had a really nice drum set, and we saw him playing other bands. He thought he was really good. Came for audition, was like, oh my God, he's really not not good. And yeah, and, and one guy, one guy we hired as a bass player, and he wound up only being in the band for less than a year because he just couldn't cut it. He, he couldn't handle playing four or five nights a week. His voice couldn't handle it. And yeah, we've had situations like that. So, you know, uh, you've seen Happy Gilmore. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. Lee Trevino in there, the guy who's always standing there, like shaking his head yeah. when he catches Happy doing something. So it's the same thing with me. Weird, you know, fact that we always put, I play golf and my golf clubs are like way above my skill level. <laughs> Cause like, luckily, uh, Governor Murphy blessed me with an opportunity to create a savings account and allow me to be able to purchase something for recreational purposes. But I remember I went out with some strangers and they looked at my golf set and it was like the same thing. Yeah. They looked, they were like, wow, my first shot, it looked like Lee Trevino. They were looking at me like disgusted, dude. Like, what are you doing with? those you know like that's crazy because i remember the whole thing with dave mustaine you know what i mean yeah i always thought that that was like oh, he was tuning what? up yeah you're in you're in that's why i keep all my guitars and all my gear and shit at a certain level of like mediocrity. yeah just so like it's like okay it's good if enough didn't work but we out, still want right. to hear a little bit and then, oh okay now it makes it's like sense. man les paul really is nice yeah but it, yeah it's but not it like epiphone. a custom like 19 <laughs> yeah it's, yeah but it's like good enough like oh it's a nice guitar but we still gotta hear you Exactly. And then it makes all sets. It binds together. It's like one of those things, you know, if you uh, set your standards low, you'll never be disappointed. Absolutely. So, like, I come in with that. It's like, man, this dude's got a full stack. Now you gotta yeah, lead. but it's really not that expensive. You got to leave with the Schecter Telecaster hybrid over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jumping forward here to 1968, the Grateful Dead play Rosemary at Bellaramine? Bellaramine. Bellaramine College in Louisville, Kentucky. Bellaramine. Uh, despite the song being one of the most popular among deadheads, this is the only time the band plays it live. It's wild. Yeah, it's crazy. It's wild. That'd be like Van Halen, like never playing Jump. I kind of wish that would happen. <laughs> <laughs> or like Metallica never playing Enter Sandman. Master yeah. of Puppets. Yeah, never playing Master of Puppets. Rush never playing Tom Sawyer. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. Phil Collins never playing In the Air Tonight. Yeah. Never, yeah. <laughs> Peter Gabriel never playing Salisbury Hill. I'm more of a Sledgehammer fan myself. Really? Yeah, dude, I love Sledgehammer. That song's cool. Yeah, I'm not a giant song. Peter Gabriel fan, but I like, like when Peter I heard Gabriel. that song for the first time, I was like, man, this, I do this fuck is with cool. Peter Gabriel. I fuck with Peter Gabriel. Do I want to say more? Phil, yeah, more than Phil Collins solo stuff. Yeah, yeah this overall. seems to be like the common thread. Yeah. Yeah, because Gabriel solo stuff, yeah, every album was, was a different thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I did something cool for each album. Like the album, he used no cymbals. Yeah, you know, and and then you get to to sew, and it's like this. It just was just up here. Everything else was down here. You listen to to sew. It's like wow. So he was he was always Peter Gabriel was all has yeah. always been, you know, yeah, one Phil step Collins. ahead. One step ahead of everybody. Phil Collins is dad rock. Yeah. It's one of those. I just my dad really multi billionaire, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> I saw a meme the other day on Facebook. It was like um. Uh, Disney exec. Uh, this movie's about a guy that thinks he's a monkey, so the soundtrack doesn't have to be crazy. <laughs> then it was like Phil Collins it le- starts levitating off the ground with his eyes turning white. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> not gonna lie, the Tarzan soundtrack. Was yeah, it's, it's all right. Yeah, son made, of men yeah. or whatever that song was. He made <laughs> so much money off that Tarzan soundtrack. Yeah, <laughs> that's good old Phil. Um. 
Speaking of another multi fucking juggernaut in music, uh, Black or White by Michael Jackson hits number one in America for the first of seven weeks in 1991. Now, I mean, I wasn't, you were almost into the world. I wasn't thought of yet. You were around. How big was Black and White? Black or White? Wasn't as big as Thriller. No? No. No, I'm surprised that song was number one for that many weeks. But Michael Jackson could do no wrong at that point. So <laughs> Yeah. That's my least favorite Michael Jackson song. What? Of, black of or white? the singles. Yeah, black or white. I wanna probably mine too. I'm just not a huge fan of Dangerous to begin with. No. Um I mean full me albums. Cool. Yeah, full albums I really stop at bad. Yeah. Cause even off the wall and obviously thriller, I mean, all good stuff, but like dangerous to me, you could see the turn. You could see where way it was headed. Yeah. Like I could almost honestly parallel Michael Jackson's career to like Eminem's career. Same way in the studio uh, progression that okay. you got to notice. Cause he became very like, he was already mainstream to begin with, but you could see the like conformity of mainstream. His songs yeah. got a lot yeah. less, you know, you know, even thriller was thriller was edgy. Yeah. Oh yeah. And even bad. I mean, smooth criminal, uh, yeah, dirty yeah. Diana. Like dirty you still Diana. had. Yeah, my favorite song there was an edge album. to it. Yeah. yeah. Like I don't mind black or white. I don't think it's bad by any stretch. It's just mm-hmm. when you put it on a pedestal next to everything, all the singles off bad and thriller and even off the wall. Like don't stop till you get enough. I mean, to this day, we'll yeah rank higher. Funny little tidbit of information here about black or white from Michael Jackson. The music video features a young Macaulay Culkin. He's in his bedroom playing guitar. The guitar is an Eddie Van Halen, Bernie Ball Music Man model. Okay. However, the guitar player that played on the song in the studio was Slash. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> really? Dude. Yeah. If you well, throw it's, anything it's even out more ironic because obviously Eddie Van Halen had play with Michael Jackson's songs prior. So oh, it was yeah. like a weird, <laughs> like here's an Eddie Van Halen guitar, but this is not him in it. Even though you're probably thinking it is because he was already on one before. Exactly. You know I mean? It's actually the same exact guitar that's behind you. Yeah. Except it was orange. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, the blue one. Was it the Kramer? No, it was the oh, blue that, one. Really? Yeah, it was the Music Man. That same model? Same exact one. Wow. That's why I own it, dude. It's not because I thought it was a cool-looking guitar. Yeah, I still want that guitar. <laughs> when If you ever sell that thing, you got to come to me. And and Eddie Van Halen's solo on Beat It, it's one of his one of his best solos. I agree. It's just that icon. Actually, I think yeah, we did just, an episode on like the greatest features of all time, and I think I we think rated Beat It as that. like the best feature like, ever in a good. song. Yeah, it, was, it, was just one, it had to be one of his best solos that I've heard of on any, on any Van Halen albums. Really. It's one of those ones you can just think of right off the top. Yeah. Of the head. Oh yeah. Just, yeah. And but it, the thing is, it has like almost every one of his like little tricks. Yeah. Like in it. But it was perfect. Yeah. It the thing, out. and we talked about that, and I don't think we. But it's that's one of those things that could have went on for so many measures because it's Van Halen. But it was just so short, sweet, to the point. Exactly. And like kept it with the song. The funny thing is, is that he thought no one would ever hear it. That that was his reasoning for doing it, because apparently in Van Halen there was like a like a clause like between the members that nobody could do anything else, and his words were, "Well, nobody's probably gonna hear yeah, this no one's going to hear this Black Kids album," is what he said. Wow! And little did he know it was the biggest fucking album ever. That's great. <laughs> That's great. I'm pretty sure Beat is like one of the reasons why Thriller got pushed to number one. Like I think that was like one of the first singles off that album. That's awesome. But yeah, <laughs> um. Last thing here in music history is not really music history at all, but it's more of a shout out. In 1997, 
my brother Jonathan was born. Shout out to Jonathan. Shout out to Jonathan. Kirk Hammett's still doing well. <laughs> 23 years old. It's crazy. I Damn, do remember. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> he's like a full adult now. He's a full blown adult. That's crazy. I remember I remember that first time that you came over the house. Long yeah, hair. Yeah, you had like the long hair like Real down long. halfway down your back. And he was playing guitar here in Metallica. And I convinced him that you were Kirk Hammond. He believed it for quite some time. <laughs> he believed it for quite oh. some time. Like he like looked at the TV oh, and looked back wow. at Steve. He's like, No way. I was like, it's Kirk Hammond. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> so Speaking of Kirk Hammett, actually, there's really no tie into Kirk Hammett here, but <laughs> subtly, yeah, subtly, yeah, yeah. In a, in a subtle change of topic here, if you've been a listener of this podcast for a while, you know that I have a strong distaste for Rolling Stone magazine for one particular reason: their hundred greatest guitar player list, or their hundred greatest guitarist of all time list. I feel like they they screw the pooch every fucking year. The only reason I bought it this year is because it was a commemorative issue with Eddie Van Halen on the cover. I'm now in the process of buying every Eddie Van Halen magazine I can come across. And, uh, yeah. So, I bought it. And, uh, as I'm skimming through, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna look at their list. Now, I mean, obviously, we can have as much time as we want because we're Rage Against the Mainstream Podcast. But to keep it short, we're not gonna go through the whole 100. There's a select few guitar players here that I feel like, for prime example on how this list is completely fucking skewed, I'm going to throw out a couple names and pick which guitar player you feel like should be above the other. Okay. So, we're going to skip through here. I just want to let everyone know that, uh, before we even get started, that uh, Eddie Van Halen's number eight, number which eight. I don't agree with. Interesting. Number one's Jimi Hendrix. That's I can I can arguably get behind that. Maybe. Where does Jimmy Page rank? Well, I'll I'll go through the top ten. Okay, 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 okay. Go through the top ten because it's like the obvious choices. So you got Hendrix, Clapton, Page, Clapton before Page, huh? Keith Richards, number four. Number four, Keith Richards. Jeff Beck, number five. Number six, BB King. Seven, Chuck Berry. Eight. Edward Van Halen, nine, Dwayne Allman, and ten, Pete Townsend. Wow, they have Keith Richards at four. That was my biggest gripe this whole time. How does Keith Richards go above Eddie Van Halen? Dwayne Allman should be in that top five. I agree. I I think Dwayne Allman ranks above Eddie Van Halen every. I actually every would chance. take Dwayne Allman over Clapton. I wouldn't take him at number two, but I would take him over Clapton. I don't think Clapton should be in that top three. No, but then um. I th- wow. I, I I always think Clapton should be near Cla- the top. Cause- I think Clapton's in a top five, top seven category. But the only thing is with Clapton was he was almost like pigeonholed. Like everything he did with Cream was for not phenomenal. But his solo career, Dwayne for me is different because Dwayne didn't have an opportunity to really nah, take off. Right. Like Derek and the Dominoes was great. And then everything he did with Allman Brothers up until obviously, you know, he passed away. I mean, there was just such innovation there. I mean, arguably the best slide guitarist I've ever heard. I mean, if you ever hear anybody try to improvise the lead on Layla, it's... I mean, you show me that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then I saw when Jimmy Page made his return for the first time, you know, since Bonham's death, and he tried to rip that lead, and he was, like, out of his mind, and it was horrible, dude. (laughs) The problem with with these lists is 100 greatest guitarists. You can't... 
Yeah, do we base career on that? You know what I mean? I mean, is, is it a is it a yeah, is it, we need to know the credentials. Is yeah. it influential guitarist who had the biggest influence? Who's Technique. the best players? Who who's most popular? There's so many different criteria that you can say. Hundred greatest yeah. guitarist. Exactly. Yeah, that is a weird because uh, just on talent alone, you could you could put Steve make Vai at the top. Of the, I was going to say John Petrucci. Yeah, you could who's put the him. fastest? You know, yeah. And you, some of these guys you've seen are incredibly technically, but who? But get, Keith, who, who Keith Richards, in? though, even in career and talent, I couldn't put him above Dwayne Ullman. I couldn't even put Keith Richards. Obviously, above, I would honestly say above Van Halen. If you talk about innovation, Keith Richards to me just he was like the perfect fit for the Rolling Stones. Right. You know, That's when you mentioned like Steve Vai specifically, I could go watch Steve Vai play guitar just because the, he's just a craft of his instrument. Exactly. Keith Richards, I couldn't I couldn't watch this as an acoustic set of just instrumentals with Keith Keith Richards. It would just I couldn't do it. Now I've I've I don't I don't know I agree. Keith Richards shouldn't be that high, but Keith Richards sound was was for the Rolling Stones just as as Charlie Watts the dr- drummer for the Stones when you hear the Stones play together as a band yeah it's like the who it's like yeah, i've seen so many tribute bands try to do the Stones nobody can do it yeah it's really yeah they his his drumming and um his guitar playing you know they're together that made the Stones yeah it's so, almost like so, Aerosmith with Joe Perry. Like yeah. for him, he, him alone, he like the Aerosmith fit. Everything in that band has to work the right way. The the only band, this is why I put Led Zeppelin on a pedestal. Like the Who, for instance, I don't think Pete Townsend by any stretch is like a top ten guitarist. But in that band with Keith Moon, the way it was all set up, like Daltrey's like vocals, it was just as a total perfect. package. Yeah, yeah package, but Led yeah. Zeppelin, yep. I could take Jimmy Page out of that. And put his guitar playing alone on a pedestal. I could take John Bonham out of that, put him up there, like as a Keith Moon. Exactly. Like, Neil Peart is different just because he was like Eddie Van Halen of his genre. Like it was a very innovative transition that he really exactly. influenced. Like prog rock, when you mentioned it, especially Michael, it's a genre that like gets an opportunity to really expose talents. Yeah. Are you, you sure? Uh, are you sure? Uh, fucking Neil Peart wasn't just all flash and wasn't really that good of a drummer. I mean, <laughs> who knows? All right, so moving so, on with this list. Ev- so everybody on that list there should be a, a like. Okay, so Keith Richards is on that list because there should be a because under each. Or name. Is there, yeah, is there just a description? You know, it, it, that's that's how yeah, I, I mean. It, there's there's descriptions, but it's all written by whoever like voted the yeah. most and yeah, shit like I that. It just I can get I can get behind Clapton if you want to rank him that high. Hendrix, obviously. Keith Richards, again, like if I talk a top five, I literally, he just doesn't come to mind as guitarist. No. Like I think of Jimmy Page, I think of Dwayne Alm, I think of Van Halen, I would even think Pachucci. I will, I, say, even, huh. I will say that this is the first time that I've actually read this list and Eddie Van Halen was above 25. I couldn't even name 25 guitars to put ahead of him. Well, apparently before. there was 25 that were more influential than uh, Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> the thing <laughs> is, though, year. that's... Probably Dave Matthews rank at twenty four. Probably <laughs> six, 60 to seventy people on that list were influenced by Eric Clapton. Oh yeah, absolutely. But here's the thing: Chuck Berry 
Chuck Berry. Why is Chuck Berry ranked so low if we're going to use that as an influential? Right. Exactly. Why is he number one? That's what I'm saying. It's a very skewed formula they got over that Rolling Stone. We need to talk to somebody. It's hard. It's such a hard list to make. You know what we should do? We should take their 100 list, not get rid of anybody. Just take their 100 list and reorganize it in the way that this we see it This will be a to-be-continued to, to episode. Follow us on our Facebook to find out. The yeah. real list. So let's go through a little <laughs> bit more here. Neil Young or Iomi? What, like who's better? Yeah. List-wise? Uh, who, who do you feel like is a better guitar player? Tony Iommi. What about you, Michael? Tony Iommi as well, or are you a Neil Young fan? I'm not a Neil Young fan, so... No. Well... Neil Young is eight spots ahead of Tony, I- Tony Iommi. Where's Neil Young ranked? 17. Top 20. Top 20. Where's Where's Iommi? He's at eight 25. spots. 25. I, <laughs> I don't think Neil Young did anything innovative. Yeah, you want to talk about innovative? Iommi's responsible for metal, I would say. He's yeah. the godfather of heavy metal. Yeah, he yeah. literally... Single-handedly, probably next to Eddie Van Halen and Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, he took what every blues rock guy was doing and like, Turned it into what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so here's a major upset here. Johnny Ramone or Dimebag Daryl? That's a serious question. You, you're familiar with the work of Pantera, right, Michael? Or you know who Dimebag Daryl is? Yes. Not, not an expert, no. But yeah, yeah, but you know who he is. Yes. And you know that his skill level is far above the three or four chord punk riffs. I'm more a fan of the uh, Diamond Daryl era. <laughs> <laughs> well... I'm sorry to say this. Yeah, what's the ranking on that? Johnny Ramone's 28. Uh, 28. So to round out the rest of the 30 here, Johnny Ramone is better than Scotty Moore, Elmore James, Ryde Cooter, and Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top. Wow. Unfortunately, Dimebag Daryl ranks at 92 on their list. I don't understand how that's possible. 92. Name me the top three solos by Johnny Ramone. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like come on. But but again, but you want to talk the Ramones? I listened to in 1975, 76. They were the the first. I, as far as I mean, them and the and the New York Dolls, the sex and the sex. Oh Pistols, yeah, of course. I mean, they were Johnny Thunders. Yeah, they started the genre. Yeah, of course. So that's why he's on the list because he. But why isn't it a list of top? Influential guitarist, right. like you're you saying, greatest guitarist. Right, you need a different list because exactly. even Dime, yeah. just guitarist. Like if you want to use innovation just for the instrument, right? right. Mm-hmm. Johnny Ramone wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary of what was going on in you know the United Kingdom and Britain. Sex Pistols had already established a motive, and then obviously the United States caught on with the Ramones and developing that punk scene. You mentioned the New York Dolls with you know Johnny Thunders as well, like everybody else that was kind of catching on to that. But Dime as an innovative guitarist with the idea of metal in the transition, like 92. Just be I mean, aware that every name that I'm going to mention after here is after Johnny that. Ramone is better than. Well, Johnny Ramone cracked the top 25, right? Was it 24? Top 30. He was 28. 28. He's better than Prince. He's better than Prince? Prince. Prince, Prince is so Prince underrated, is man. That's, that's so disturbing. Underrated. I mean, have we heard Purple Rain? I know. So underrated. The Edge is 38. So every guitar player I'm going to mention from now on is after The Edge. The Edge is better than. Of course. Do you think The Edge was, um, U2 was innovative? No. 
I think their earlier no, I, work was their earlier. Their I thought their work was good. I think U two was compounding genre and making it better for its time. I think they were talented, but I they also were a band think they for the time. But this is the thing. There's also something about have I heard this before? Can I compare this to something? Like think about the first time the Beatles hit the scene. You know, then when Led Zeppelin showed up and then like when we talk about Eddie Van Halen, like you want to talk about innovative, like think about people in the 70s seeing somebody play guitar like that. Like, I mean, think about what people were doing with the guitar before that. I mean, you could even talk about guys like Les Paul when you bring up B.B. King, when you bring up like Robert Johnson, you bring up Eric Clapton, you bring up these guys like there was a lot of technique. But when you saw someone like Eddie Van Halen, you think about what changed, you know, that's why when you put someone like Neil Young up there, it's like great musician great music you mm-hmm. too the edge good musician good music there's nothing wrong with that but did it do what rush did did it do what the who did rolling stones especially that's true you know i remember when you two came out and they were hot they had a different sound yeah well and, they were influenced by like the punk scene yeah too, the right punk movement. But, but they weren't as, as heavy as the punk thing they were yeah more mainstream and between them and the and then the police, yeah, these trios, you know, this is the next. You two was the next big trio, and then the police were the next big trio when they were doing the reggae ska thing in the beginning, mm. and the early U two stuff was really, I want to say innovative, but was different, and people really got into different. it. Yeah, yeah, people really got into it. But that was then they became more mainstream. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't you can't deny the first couple U two albums. You really can't, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I can't knock you too. I just, I just think about like guitar player. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. When we when we say greatest, like the same thing going back to Johnny Ramone and Keith Richards. Like, there's nothing to say that anything about those bands wasn't creative to a point where when you heard it, you were like, whoa. You know, but never did I like could like again. I I wouldn't pay to go see The Edge play guitar for an hour. No. Well, I said it to Michael the other night. I was like, how I perceive the Edge's guitar playing is Nicole could come in here and pick a guitar off the wall and plug into the Edge's pedal board and probably play Sunday Bloody Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <clears throat> For reference here, talking about a guitar player that relies a lot on effects, the Edge beat out Tom Morello. Rage Against the Machine. I think Tom Morello was way more innovative than the Edge. I don't... He was a DJ that played guitar. He was also very intelligent, but he also, I mean, Peter Frampton, you know, Peter Frampton <clears throat> wasn't so out. I'm, I'm a know. huge Peter Frampton That's fan. That's what I'm saying. I just, I mean, <laughs> it's not to say that Tom Morello wasn't taking that to an extreme, but Peter Frampton was already doing similar things at a time where that was like, who the fuck is, like, how are you doing this? Well, which is true, but I'm saying like the argument between the edge. Oh, and the Tom ed- Well, Tom Morello, obviously, but Tom Morello too, which bothers me is that the, you want to talk about genre breaking. I mean, this, I, I could, I forget who I showed it to, but they were like just a huge, huge Wu-Tang fan. And I had it on, like mm-hmm. we were driving somewhere. And I want to say, can't say his name on the airways, but, I mean, I was just thinking about it. Like, he he was listening to it, and he doesn't listen to rock, doesn't listen to metal at all. And I was just getting into a rage kick, and I put on, um, I want to say with Bulls on Parade, I started with that because it was on a shuffle thing. Yeah. And he, he I, I saw him. Like, he was getting into it. And I was thinking to myself, like, wow, like, this is really one of those, like, genre boundaries where 
this could relate to so many different people. Yeah. And when we talk about bands that kind of came out at a time where you couldn't really put your finger on it or understand what you were listening to until more bands came out and they're like, oh, we're going to call this prog rock. You know, we're going to call this heavy metal. We're going to yeah. call this thrash and all the subgenres and stuff. I mean, Rage and Tom, like, yep. I mean, that was just totally. Are you... What does he rank at exactly? 40. Okay. Are you familiar with Johnny Greenwood? Do I have a hint? Um, successful British alternative rock band. They're what year? all over the fucking place. What year? 90s. Alternative rock band. I guess British. you could say he might be a creep or a winner. Oh, okay. All right. Where, who do you think's better? Mark Knopfler? Yeah, no, I don't or, want to even answer that. That's ser- Are you serious? No, no Where does shit. he rank at? Greenwood. Oh, wait, shit. Never mind. That was stupid. That that was backwards. Johnny Greenwood's 48. Mark Knopfler's 40, 44. Okay. Right, but still, the fact that they're even that close in comparison. Is Lindsey Buckingham in that list? Yeah. Where does he rank at? 99, was it? 100. 100, yeah. He's he barely, the last one. barely made the list. Lindsey Buckingham's the barely last the one on the list. For reference here, um, let's see. John Lennon beat him out. Slash beat him out, too. <laughs> yeah, and see that. <laughs> George Harrison's on that list, right? 11. George Harrison is number 11. 11. Johnny Winter's on the list, too. It's 63. Yeah, he should be higher. Johnny Winter is 63. Dickie Betts is on that list, too, right? Uh, Where's Stevie Ray Vaughan? 12. So George Harrison beat out Stevie, Stevie Ray, Ray Vaughan. Vaughan. Actually, Lindsey Buckingham got beaten out by Jack White. Guess where Jack White is? Where? 70. Jack White is 30 guitar players better than Lindsey Buckingham. I See, I don't, I don't even... John Frusciante right, right, is better than Kurt Cobain as well. John Frusciante? Kurt Cobain's a better guitar player than Dimebag Daryl, apparently, compared to... You know, John Frusciante's ranked higher, though, than Kurt, right? By one. By one? By one. John Frusciante's 72. Way more than that. Kurt's 73. You want to talk about innovative guitarist? You want to talk about guitarist? I, I would pay to watch John Frusciante just play guitar. You know, and I don't want this to be like Bill bashes on fucking Nirvana all the time. Kurt Cobain doesn't belong on the greatest guitar players list. He's a, No, that, but this is the thing, though. This goes back to where how this list was constructed to be for innovation exactly. purposes. Where Nirvana, obviously, songwriting ability. Yeah. But again... I think Kurt has the talents, but if I had to choose for a very uh, let's let's take out the Nirvana hype obviously behind it. If John Frusciante and Kurt Cobain came to me and tried out for a band, ninety nine point nine percent sure I would probably pick John to play in the band just for versatility. Absolutely, I just think Red Hot Chili Peppers and everything he's done since he joined and rejoined the band has been phenomenal. Let's see here. Lindsey Buckingham, though. Yeah. I put him up there with Prince. I think we talked about that in the episode. He's yeah, they, very underrated. They left, they, and again, they left off a lot of the, the whole prog rock. I mean, they have Robert Fripp. Yeah. Who was one of the King Crimson, one of the... Yeah, that's another, the, yeah, another band you want to talk about defining mm-hmm. genre. You know, Alan Holdsworth, uh, Steve Howe, those, those, pro, those old prog rock guitar players. I don't even think Alan Holdsworth made the list. 
He's on Guitar World, so he's not on Rolling Stone. Because it's guitar players. Yeah, yeah. Jack White. Well, apparently Joe Perry's only 84. He's so Jack White's ranked higher than Joe Perry? Yeah. Oh, and he's higher than uh, James Heffield as well. James Heffield at 87, you know, one of the forerunners of the thrash metal movement from one of the biggest bands of all time. You know, just a little band you may have heard of, Metallica. I really just... Jay Mascus is a better guitar player than James Hetfield as well. I can think of a certain somebody that would write this list. Unbelievable. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad that um, Billy Gibbons is, is as high as he is. I think he should be higher. I think... I no, really think I, he should. This is what bothers me. It's not so much about where these guys are ranked. It's about who's ranked a higher than them. Yeah. Well, Bruce Springsteen's higher than Alex Lifeson. Bruce Springsteen's also higher than Lindsey Buckingham. Yeah, I don't, the Buckingham one really already throws me off completely because I know every single person you're about Steve to name Steve Jones is, is better than Lindsey Buckingham. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, the fact that he's ranked the last... The, bottom line Thurston is... Thurston Moore. Oh, God. <laughs> Sonic Youth, huh? What about... um? What's his name from Smashing Pumpkins? Billy Corgan? No. What the hell's that guy's name? He's from um, Perfect Circle as well. Uh, Troy Van Leeuwen? Is it Eha or Iha? Oh, James Eha. Eha. Yeah, James Eha. He's not on the list. James Eha. Yeah, right. the, the, the doors were that whole psychedelic thing. Wait, yeah. Robbie yeah. Krieger's on there? Yeah, 76. See, Robert Johnson, 71. See, Robert Robbie Krieger, because the doors are my favorite band. Of yeah, all time. That's I've made that very clear. Robbie Krieger, I think, again, is another one of those R's. Perfect for the band. Johnny yeah. Densmore, perfect for the band. Ray Manzarek, perfect for the band. Then obviously Jim completes the whole picture. But again, I mean, Robbie Krieger, it's like, think, like when you brought up King Crimson, I think that's like a perfect example because that genre of rock is enough for guitarists to really show their talents and like you can kind of put them more on a pedestal. Um, like even Yes. I mean, you got, that's just like, that was a genre of music where you got to see more talents. I yep. think just Robbie Krieger, same thing with Johnny Ramone. It's like a one dimensional suit. I think the band itself is what makes it to a point to say greatest guitarist. Yep. But I honestly would rather have Lindsey Buckingham in my band than Robbie Krieger. Would you say uh, Neil Young's a better guitar player than uh, Randy Rhodes? Well, I already know how high Neil Young is. That, that's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. What's Randy Rhodes at? 36. So we have Neil Young at what, 15? 17. 19 spots? And Steven Stills is on that list too, right? Yeah, Steven Stills. Steven Stills is low on here, I think. Uh, so some notables here. Les Paul is at 18. You know, the guy that's single-handedly responsible for the solid body electric guitar. You know, just that little bit there. If we're going by, you know, making a uh, splash in the music industry. Um, let's see. Who was I looking for again, Michael? Steven Stills. Steven Stills. 47. Hmm. I think he's more, he's, I want to say more better. He's, he's, <laughs> he's more better. <laughs> he's, um, deserves to be on that list more than Neil Young. Peter Green's 58. All right. Muddy Waters is only forty nine. Uh, but, but were you gonna, Where was BB King? BB King was five. I think. Yeah, BB King was that again. Yeah, BB King was. Who were you influenced by? See, see, I can put BB King there. I can be yeah. okay with that because who were you influenced by? BB King. Yeah, yeah. 
Like Johnny Winter, I mean, again, I can't put him up there with the rest of the Blues guys because he was obviously taking a lot that was already established. But mm-hmm. talent-wise, phenomenal. Yeah. You know? They had in their blood between him and Edgar. Edgar yeah, the whole, mm-hmm. the two yeah them, both yeah. of them. So to kind of wrap this up here, let's do a guitar player that you feel like should be lower on the list and a guitar player you feel like should have been on the list. I don't know the whole list, so I couldn't say who should be on if they aren't. Well, t- tell me who you who you think should be on the list, and I'll tell you if they're on or not. John Petrucci, is he on there? Negative. Right, he should 100% John Petrucci be on is not there. on the list. He should 100% be on that list. And if I were to throw him on that list, at first glance and thought, he would have to be more than likely in my top 20. Okay. More than likely. I feel like that's understandable yeah. with him. Because I'm thinking of like just if I was going to go by genre, year, decade, and just talent, he's got to fit in there somewhere because his talent just exceeds a level of, especially his writing ability. Is exactly. Like he writes stuff to this day where I'm like, how can how, how can any human being actually think of that to begin with? So who would you take off the list or move lower? Take off the list... Actually, you know what? This is a load. Well, that that's kind of like a loaded question. Let's do. If you could replace a guitar player on the list, if I could replace a guitar yes. player on the list, uh, do I, well, I mean, so I'm taking John Petrucci on there, and I'm pulling somebody pulling off. Somebody off. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be in his ranking. Just no, a guy no, who's going to move the way. You know, you're putting one on. It can't be 101. <clears throat> All right. Um. To be honest with you, it's got to be Jack White. Jack White's got to come off. He's got to go. And you're replacing him with John John Petrucci, which will obviously be multitudes of spots higher than Jack White because he doesn't deserve to be even anywhere in the top 100 in my eyes. And it's not to say Jack White, like, oh, you're a shit guitarist. It's just for top 100. He's not the greatest. The fact that Lindsey Buckingham made that list at 100 and you're 30 spots higher than him. Yeah. Someone's obviously never watched Fleetwood Mac live videos from the 70s. Obviously. Yeah, he's so good. It's unbelievable. Just so good. It's just impressive. Yeah. Yep. Like the leads that he plays. Such a good guitar player. That's talent. It was absolute talent. Yeah. What about you, Michael? Who would you who would you put on the list and to remove somebody? I know I would put Steve Hackett on there. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, talk about the whole tapping thing and mm-hmm. all that. He was one of the people to bring it more mainstream. Even though he didn't invent it, yeah, he actually used it in a lot of the early Genesis that before anybody else was using. Oh, well, he was like the first mainstream rock guy to actually have it recorded. Yeah, yeah, back on those first four Genesis albums. Suck it, Eddie. <laughs> well, <laughs> nah, that's not well, fair. Yeah, but Eddie says what he what he's doing isn't tapping; it's more harmonics. Yeah. So I, you know, it's, it's, it sounds a lot the same. But who would I take off? Um, Neil Young. I don't know why he's on there. Damn. Shots <laughs> fire with Neil Young. I just I I just don't I don't I don't get it with Neil Young. That's just I me. can see I if that list was so organized a different way because again, the live at Massey Hall album is him and that acoustic guitar. Yeah. The writing ability and the musicianship yeah. is good enough where he could probably get into my top 90. If I really thought about it, yeah. but it would be like, it'd be a stretch. Cause I might think of another guy like, all right, Neil's going down to 91 because he's just a good musician. He's a good artist. He's got 
decent writing ability. He's got good albums, you know, the stuff he did with Crosby Stills. Like, it, mm-hmm. he's got good stuff. It's, but it's like the same thing with the Eagles, you know, like all those guys were great musicians and did good solo careers, but never am I going to put them to like an innovation level, especially in the what top 17. Yeah. Yeah. That, that you can't come on. Not even Joe Walsh. I would put Joe Walsh leaps and bounds behind beyond Neil Young. Yeah. Joe Walsh would be probably in my top 15. Yeah. Yeah. Easily. Joe Walsh is lower on the list. That's what I'm saying. I'm just using that as a comparison. Like yeah. he came from Crosby stills the same way the Eagles with the way they split up. Like even like Don Henley's career was, I yeah. mean, you could put that in the same type of yeah. light as a good solo career, but Neil Young, just to me, I listened to that live at Massey Hall to say he's a good guitarist, but I would never say top 17. Yeah. <laughs> top 50. I thought Crosby, Crosby stills, Nash and Young. I thought it was better with just, Crosby Stills and Nash. Well, the, the four-way street <laughs> album that live yeah. forward, that album is just too good for me to tell well, you. Like, I, I know I had I had it on album when so it first good. came out. Yeah, it's a very <laughs> that's good album. That's how old I am. I had it on album, the double album set. Yeah, yeah but it, it, but again, that four-way street, it was Crosby Stills and Nash with Neil Young doing a bunch of solo stuff and kind of doing a off harmony with Crosby Stills and yeah, Nash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's the way I heard yeah. the album. But that's, uh, that's yeah. <laughs> I get behind that, though. It would be really hard to get Neil into a top hundred. Yeah. I'd have definitely to make, not. The I'd have to have file 20. a lot of appeals. Yeah, it'd be really tough. Now, this one, I mean, if, if you're listening to this episode in its entirety and you listen to any other episode, Kurt Cobain doesn't belong in this list in my eyes. Especially for Kurt Cobain to be on the list and, I don't know, Zach Wilde not be on the list. Zach Wilde is fucking light years ahead of Kurt Cobain in guitar playing. Zach Wilde's light years ahead of a lot of guys in this fucking list of playing. But then again, I don't know if we're talking about sheer technique. I don't know if we're talking about contributions to music. Yeah, it's a very vague list. Like, yeah. dude, you got Randy Rhodes, but you don't have any of the other Aussie guitar players. What about Brad Gillis yeah, from Light Ranger? He's yeah. fucking amazing. What yeah. about Steve Lukather from Toto? Yeah. He's another one. Session guy. Been on millions of records. He's not on the list. This list puts people in a really bad position. This is almost as bad as like arguing politics at the Thanksgiving table because I have to like the, <laughs> I have to like go out on a way, like especially with Michael here trying to say like, you know, Keith Richards shouldn't be at number four, but I love Keith Richards, but he's at number four. You know, like it's a very yeah, yeah. like weird <laughs> position you put people in trying to yes. like argue and defend this list because it's like, why the fuck are they ranked that high? What is the <laughs> meaning of this? Like, dude, there's handfuls of guitar players I feel like deserve to be on the list above Kirk Cobain, like, Steve Vai, yeah. Petrucci, Satriani. Bro, I'm telling you right Greg now. Howe, any of these I'm guys. telling you right now. Fleetwood Mac, went, right after Peter Green left, and they were doing a whole casting of who they were going to get to fill on guitar and be a front man, <laughs> and Robbie Krieger showed up, and Lindsey Buckingham showed up. I'm fucking higher in Lindsey Buckingham. Like, there's just no way Robbie <laughs> Krieger is out-dueling Lindsey Buckingham if I sat down they play guitar together exactly it's just not happening should they break them up even more like solo guitars that's what I'm saying like yeah what are we talking about guitars yeah guitars songwriters yeah innovative yeah I would love to see that best musician writing guitarists yeah best individually talented solo guitar yeah. yeah That's where you get Jimmy Page. Give a little description. We say, we base this list based on the guys and their just their talents alone. Okay, cool. Now I can understand. You think this? Well, I'm trying to think of like who a definitive would be. Like Kirk Cobain would be gone. Kirk Kirk Cobain wouldn't even be on the list at all. 
I'd put Jerry Cantrell on there above Kurt Cobain, but I would put Jerry Cantrell on there above a few people. Exactly. Yeah. So I think if I had to pick one, just based off the style, the abilities, and the technicalities, it'd have to be Zach Wild. Yeah. I feel like above a lot of other guitar players, especially the guitar players that have played with Ozzy Osbourne, he probably has the collective bigger range of playing. Like we've yeah. heard the Pride and Glory stuff. Yeah. We've heard the Black Label Society stuff. We've heard the Ozzy stuff. This dude can fucking do everything. Why he's not on the list doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. When you got Johnny Ramone. Yeah, on the that list. and like again, I I love the Ramones. I really do. Like Leave Home is one of my favorite punk rock albums to this day. I love DD Ramone. I love the stuff, you know, Johnny Thunders did with him later on. Even Gigi Allen paired up with DD. Like I'm a huge you know, Ramones fan in general. Yeah. But to defend him, <laughs> what is he ranked again? Uh, like top seven. No, yeah, no. top 25? Is he 27 or something? I remember that first Ramones album. It's a great album. Beat on the each, Brat. Each, I mean, each just, song was like under two minutes. Yeah. And it was just. I remember yeah. the first time I saw Private Parts with Howard Stern and they he introduced a song on the radio and it was Pinhead. Gabba, gabba, wee, gabba, wee, yeah, get yeah. Some water. And I was like, oh, what is that? I was int- I was a kid, you know? And like, I found out what it was. And that fucking song, like, Leave Home, still became my favorite Ramones album. And I obviously went back. But now I have to like, <laughs> fuck you, Johnny Ramone. You don't deserve to be there. And this list puts people in a really awkward position. It does. And you know what? And this is the fucking bullshit Rolling Stone does. It goes, the editors of Rolling Stone asked the world's greatest guitarists to name their favorite players and to talk about the instrument that defines the sound of rock, featuring yeah. uh, uh, featuring our ranking of the 100 greatest guitars of all time, a list of 100 central guitar songs, as well as a special selection of stories honoring the career and influence of Eddie Van Halen. Now, I'm going to go back in here through the list of the people that voted. Dan Auerbach of the Black Keys. Mm. Brian Bell of Weezer. Richie Blackmore from Deep Purple. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Carl Bro, Bro, Bro Remel of My Morning Jacket. Mm. I don't know what kind of pool he has in uh, Rolling Stone. Um, Apparently enough to make that list. Jerry Cantrell. Okay. Gary Clark Jr. Right. Billy Corgan. Dave Davies from the, from the Kinks. Um, Tom DeLonge from Blink-182. Really? Elliot Easton from The Cars. Don Felder from The Eagles. David Frickle, senior writer for Rolling Stone. He's that douchebag that's always in the behind the music. The (laughs) the guy with the Beatles haircut and the glasses. Yeah. Dimebag Daryl was blah, 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 blah. Yeah, and you ranked him at 92. (laughs) Um, Kirk Hammett from Metallica. This might be the truest thing he's ever done because he's never even, he wasn't even featured. Uh, Warren Hayes from the Almond Brothers. Uh, Jim James from My Morning Jacket. There we go. That That's probably a problem there. There's a bias. Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> Robbie Krieger. Alex Lifeson. Uh, Niels Lofgren from the E Street Band. Mick Mars from Motley Crue. Jay Maskus. Brian May. Mike McCready. Is Brian May in that list? Yes. Okay. He okay, ranked above Johnny Ramone by one spot. Yeah, great guitar player. <laughs> I'm really, but apparently yeah. only, I love, only yeah, one, I only love, one better than John. I love, yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, that's just so weird because I couldn't even put the two of them next to Dave Mustaine. Like, he was a voter. Was he on there? No. 
Damus Dane was not on there. But, I mean, if you, but if you put Brian May in another band, would it sound as good as he did with Queen? I think Again. so. I think Brian May is good. Yeah. I, I think Brian May fit Queen, but I also think he's good. Oh, yeah. He's definitely you know? great. Yeah, because I like, mean, just you see some of his techniques, like Hammerfall. Like, there's a lot of songs by Queen that don't get as much recognition right. where you can really hear outside of, like, the other melodies and instrumental. And the way know, he does the guitar you, harmonies. Mm-hmm. Very good. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Even Starship Troopers. That's all he did with Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. Good. I think, song. yeah, I think yeah. he's just good. Like, Johnny, like, again, I think Johnny Ramone is the one trick horse. Like, I mean, it's just very one dimensional with his guitar ability. Like, what else has Johnny Ramone done to even say, like, you know what I mean? But again, if well, we apparently base that, he's sucking somebody off of Rolling Stone, <laughs> my morning jacket, <laughs> he's got something going on there. Um, we're calling you out, Rolling Stone. You know, like I we, want an explanation of this list because guess what? I just found three things now that you can't argue with at the dinner table next to politics and religion. It's definitely that one hundred greatest guitar. Now you can understand list. my frustration for all these years. This. Everyone's just like Bill, Bill's just mad because Eddie Van Halen ranks so low, and it's like that's not the reason why. That's so. It sucks because there's a lot of artists on there that I can get behind to being, I guess I keep saying this, good bands, good musicians, but greatest of all time. Rolling Stone, we want to hear what the criteria is. Help us understand. Please. But I think, you know, we we kind of elevated ourselves. First, we were, you know, attacking Billy Joel in season one. Season two, we started attacking Dave Grohl. Season three, we're attacking Rolling Stone. It's only up from here. Yeah. Sky's the limit. A lot of people attack Rolling Stone. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of people attack the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the influence they have. We attacked AMAs in the last episode. The the amount of influence that Rolling Stone has on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it's a shame. It's disgusting. Because I've been there and I've seen it. It's like Rolling Stone magazines all over this place. Why? It should be more like a hard rock cafe and these great things. But it's more, it's too political. Exactly. Like, why is it that, you know. That's a whole other episode, though. The Rock <laughs> yeah. and Roll Hall of Fame. Why yeah, is oh, it yeah. that a chain of restaurants does more for the, you know, the. Um, memorabilia. The legacy yeah, of rock yeah. than yeah. the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame does. Yeah. Very sad. We definitely, that's going to be in a to be continued. Yeah. yeah. This conversation isn't done. We're not done here. However, we don't feel like giving you guys a three hour long podcast. This could go on forever. Yeah. Michael will be back on the show. <laughs> when you walk into down in, in um, Florida at to uh, Orlando Universal Studios, you walk into the Hard Rock Cafe, you walk into their live venue. Uh, it's, like a, it's like a Coliseum. That's what they call it. And they have the stacks, Eddie Van Halen's Marshall stacks. Hanging from the ceiling up over the stage. Oh wow, that's what the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame should be like. And that's it's what not. it should be. It's very sad, you know. And when you see that, you go, "Wow, this this is cool." <laughs> yeah, it used to really mean something too. At some yeah. point, it's disgusting. To be continued. To be yeah. continued. Tangent. Sorry, this is another hour. <laughs> so, hat. There's no possible way you can you can argue with anything that we just said on this show. But if you feel like we're wrong and, you know, you're a dick rider for Rolling Stone, please, please find us on Facebook. There's definitely a White Stripes fan having a connection. Oh, my God. Right now after what They're I like, said. The, the last time they talked about Jack White with him being an asshole yeah, for yeah, wanting yeah. to punch Jimmy Page in the face, 
they they've done it this time. The way he looked at fucking Jimmy Page like he was a peasant when he was trying to play uh Cashmere. Cashmere, yeah. <laughs> looked at him like I could I could have done that back then. <laughs> but um yeah, if you if you feel like we're wrong, which I don't think you have a leg to stand on, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at RATM Podcast. Email us if you feel so inclined because, you know, due to Twitter and Instagram and stuff and, you know, the character ba- uh, limits. Is that yeah. the character limit? Yeah. You can always get us on our email at ratmpodcast at gmail.com if you want a long, detailed bitch out about how you're wrong. <laughs> but until it. then, let's get into our personal suggestions for the week. All right. So, Steve, lead us off here with your personal suggestion. for this So, week. my personal suggestion is actually going to tie in subtly to a previous episode that we had where we talked about what does it take for you to kind of like get into music and bias and stuff. Mm-hmm. This is a perfect example. I had a friend who saw an ad for this station that plays extreme metal. It was advertised on Instagram. The radio station is called Gimme Radio. Okay. One word. There was a song playing in the background, but it was just an instrumental. So he was like, yo, what's the name of that song? Refused to tell him because he does not like death metal. But he loved the riff. He loved the drum. He <laughs> wanted to know. I was like, dude, I'm not telling you. Finally, someone told him. He went and put it on. He's like, dude, you listen to that shit? Like, because as soon as the vocals kicked in, he was not about it. And I was like, see, this is the problem, man. Like, you're just turned off immediately, but you couldn't even give the song a chance. Yeah. Um, but the band, ironically, it was an album that had just come out a couple months ago that it was funny when he was like, do you like that band? Like, I waited for this album. I like, I like this band. Um, the band's called Necrot. Okay. The album that came out, it was called Mortal. Uh, came out a few months ago. And I'm going to recommend specifically that song that was recommended or told to to him that he wasn't sure of. Um, it's track five. It's called Sinister Will. Nice. My personal suggestion for this week comes actually completely out of left field. And um, no one's actually going to see this one coming. The song is Mountain Music from the band Alabama. Wow. Yeah. I was I was dicking around on Spotify and like, you know, it it's no secret that I listen to country music, but only the good shit. Like as a matter of fact, me and Michael were watching uh TV the other night and uh there was a it was during the it was on Thanksgiving. There was some country artist and it was just like you couldn't tell if it was country or rap. Like it was like the line is so blurred. But Alabama is just one of those bands that are like undeniable. And if you ever listen to any of their music, you can hear the vocal harmonies and just like the sheer, the sheer instrumentals involved with their music. Uh, mountain music, uh, you know, song of the South. Um, I'm in a hurry, like shit like that. Mountain music, uh, is just like one of those songs where it's just like you hear it and it's just like you, you feel good. Rare form this December. It's been a while since you... I don't even think you've ever recommended country yet. No, I don't think I have. I mean, I've went Savage Garden. I respect the change of pace. I do. We have to get... Smart uh, move. Very we smart. have to be... Uh, uh, what's the word Diverse. Here? Yeah, we got to be more diverse. Spread the wealth. Yeah. More diverse with the podcast. So, do you have a suggestion, Michael? Okay, my suggestion was... It was a short-lived band. Um, Again, it was me being a progressive rock fan. Um, it's called UK. It was considered to be a super group at the time. 
uh, with John Wenton on bass. Um, Bill Bruford was on their first album. Oh, oh wow. wow. Um, also, Alan Holdsworth was on their first album. And Eddie Jobson was the keyboard player, one of my favorite keyboard players of all time. Um, their first album was self-titled UK. And there's the whole, it's like a suite song, three different parts, uh, In the Dead of Night. It just, it showcases all of the musicians, uh, all four of them. And um, it just, when, when progressive rock was kind of dying, this kind of was, it kind of was too late. Yeah. But it was so good. And That's I, awesome. I've seen, I've seen you. And the thing is, I've seen UK five times <laughs> live. You know, I saw them down at Penn's Landing at a live concert. I saw them with Jethro Tull. Oh, wow. I saw their reunion uh, like a year before Wenton died. Uh, yeah, so. Yeah, Bill Burford is one of my favorite drummers. Yeah. I've mentioned yeah. him many a time on oh, the show. Absolutely. He's, he's considered one of the fathers of progressive. Yeah, he's phenomenal. Drumming. When he went to King Crimson, man. Wow. Yeah. That's just like. That, that band took the fuck off. That's a super group right there. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then after he left the first album, then Terry Bozio. I don't know if you're familiar with Terry oh, yeah. Bozio's work. Mm-hmm. He joined the band after uh, Bruford left, because Bruford never stays with anything very long. Yeah, he did what? He did uh, <laughs> Larking's, what's it called? What's the album called? Larking's Tongues and something, the King Crimson album. And then, obviously... Did he do Red? I don't Red know if he did is, Red. Yeah, he did. But that's 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 and the album kept, that got me into King Crimson. And then he kept back. coming back. And then, I know, yeah. Because I saw uh, them with King Crimson a few times, and sometimes he was there and sometimes he wasn't. Sometimes he was. <laughs> but uh, no, that 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 was the that album meant a lot to me when it came out because it showed that these guys were still playing progressive music when it was on its way kind of out of the, the mainstream. And um, it's a great album, especially when I saw them live. Awesome. Good choice. And to change things up, I will be shooting out the recommended watch for our viewers here this week. Passing of the Torch. Passing of the Torch. Just because this is a documentary I'm surprised we haven't recommended. I'm kind of like the uh, token punk guy on this show (laughs) for um, 70s, 80s especially. But there's a documentary. There's a couple. There's a few documentaries on the punk scene. Um, This is probably my favorite one next to UKDK, but this is probably especially for the Western society of punk rock, especially the 70s and 80s. The documentary is the 1981 release called The Decline of Western Civilization, directed by Penelope Spheris. Um, the artists featured in the documentary, and you actually get to see live sets from are Alice Bagband, Black Flag, after Keith Morris, but before Henry Rollins. So you have oh, that wow. weird age with the white minority and, you know, the, I forget what his name is, Greg. Greg Ginn. Greg Jen, Greg Ginn, yeah. yeah Greg Ginn. Um, Circle Jerks is also on there. Oh, wow. Uh, Catholic Disciple, Fear, um, and Germs, and then X. And you actually get to see two songs with Pat Smear, you know, Germs. Oh, yeah. Um, Darby Crash, like our original lineup um, before Darby died. But great documentary. I mean, you want just an inside look at the Los Angeles punk scene and kind of what, how it was in the late 70s, late 80s. Phenomenal documentary. That's awesome. I don't really read in the reviews, but just... Uh, Pat myself on the back before I even looked at this. 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. So that, that came much later than the New York punk scene then. Was it a different time? Or- uh, late 70s? Well, because you got to think, Ramones. I mean, they were just way ahead of their time yeah. in that curve. But yeah, the Los Angeles punk scene was already kind of thriving. It wasn't until like 
the late 70s into the tip of the 80s that they all these bands really started coming out. Because by this point, this is released in 1981, Black Flag had already gone through a transition with singers. Like they already had an EP out in the late 70s before okay. Henry Rollins came in. Um, but they were like right on the tail end of like, yeah, the New York scene started it though. Yeah, Eastern Punk definitely made the arrival first. Awesome. I can't wait to watch this. It's a great documentary, dude. Well, that's the thing. And when you told me about it, you were excited about it. I was like, you know what? Phenomenal. You I just think want now's like, the time. This is like like that documentary is one of those like if you're not really into the punk scene, you just want an idea of it, yeah. watch it. And then you can get through that. Then you can I would recommend UKDK after that because that's into the British. Like you get to see like a real early roots understanding of like punk and get to see a not like an insight to the scene and stuff. But yeah, the decline of Western civilization is great. Awesome. So just a reminder here, uh, Rael, the music of Genesis, Saturday, December 12th at 3 p.m. at 89 North Music Venue. You can find tickets on BoxCast, uh, 89northmusic.com, or Facebook, uh, Rael, that's R-A-E-L, the music of Genesis. Michael, I want to thank you so much for coming on again. Oh, thanks for having and me. It's always it. fun. You're more than welcome to come on anytime you want now that we have a vacant third seat. You got that? <laughs> che- you have that check for me? Yeah. No, it's coming in the mail. <laughs> yeah. Usually three to five. We got the holidays, you know, backed up Thanksgiving, delivery times. Unfortunately, Jeff Bezos got a bunch of my money. Yeah. <laughs> but. Payroll checks go out later. <laughs> If you didn't catch that, you can find, uh, we're going to post about the, the rail, uh, live stream event on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash RATM podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at RATM podcast. Our email is always open at RATM podcast at gmail.com and our website at RATM podcast dot Wix, W I X site.com slash RATM podcast. But until then, this is Rage Against Mainstream signing off. As always, I'm Bill. I'm Steve. I'm Michael. Have a good night, guys, and thank you for listening.